This week, Vicarious's very own Roy Cohen and Shawnee Dodge join us to kick off the show with a technical segment titled Generating Threat Insights Using Data Science. Next up, Harry Sferdlove from Zscaler joins us for a technical segment on securing the enterprise software supply chain. I wonder where we got that topic from. Uh, in the security news, how suspected Russian hackers outed their massive cyber attack which where we'll talk about solar winds. And if we get a chance not to talk about solar winds, millions of unpatched IoT and OT devices threaten critical infrastructure. Zodiac Killer Cipher has been solved and a security researcher, oh, a security researcher states solar winds 123 password left the firm vulnerable in 2019. More solar winds. Why the weakest links matter and a 26-year-old turns a mistake into being added to honors geometry class to becoming a rocket scientist. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Sophisticated attackers are targeting credentials to escalate privileges. TiVo Networks provides an innovative solution that finds, cleans, and monitors exposed credentials to reduce attack surfaces. Additionally, the solution alerts when attackers try accessing Active Directory objects while hiding data and derailing them with disinformation. Organizations can go one step further and hide real credentials among deceptive lures that lead attackers to decoys for recording TTPs and forensic evidence. Find out more at securityweekly.com forward slash TiVo Networks and sign up for a free trial. NetSparker, the developers of a comprehensive automated web security platform that includes web vulnerability scanning, assessment, and management. NetSparker's desktop and cloud-based security solutions employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities and provides a proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at securityweekly.com forward slash NetSparker. Want to be more thorough while also working faster? It doesn't matter if you're on the red or blue team, an augmented reality overlay can enable you to be more thorough and faster at the same time. No glasses, no goggles. Polarity delivers this superpower as an overlay on top of your existing workflow and tools. The free community edition connects to the data you care about to overlay the context you need to make informed decisions. Apply for early access today at securityweekly.com forward slash polarity. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to a man whose jacket outside is frightful and throwing it on the fire would be delightful. Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome, everyone, to Security Weekly. This is episode number 678, recorded December 17th, 2020, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. Thanks, Larry. You like my jacket, huh? Mr. Larry That's Pesce awesome. is he here. really is. Virtually awesome. here. Thank you. There's pants to go with it, but like I didn't bother because no one sees the pants. Pants. I mean, I didn't pants. bother wearing the matching pants. Never mind. Mr. Lee Neely is here with us. Lee, welcome. And Lee is on mute. It looked like a great introduction, though, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's try that again. And Mr. Lee Neely is here with us. Hey there, here I am with my long sleeve Hawaiian shirt. This time I'm not on mute and ready to party. That, it looks like it looks I like a right. pajama top. It does. It does look like pajamas. Shh. Mr. Jeff Mann is here with us now that he spoiled spoiled that. He's here. Hey Jeff. 
Surprise, I'm here. <laughs> Hanging in there with us tonight also, Mr. Tyler Robinson. He's got an apparatus. We're just going to try and keep his, his brain off of whatever kind of pain you might be in, my friend. <laughs> Appreciate it. Small apparatus. Yes. For those not viewing the video, it's, a, it's quite a large apparatus. Do you always... <laughs> without context, you, you just, might give them right? a little bit. Now everyone's... So many people are going to go watch the video. No, Tyler. Uh, do you always end up missing our live streams? Need somewhere to flag Security Weekly Podcast that you want to listen to? Subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher our, or our YouTube channel. Sign up for our mailing list and join our Discord server and stay in the loop. All things Security Weekly. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. This segment is sponsored by Vicarious. To learn more, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash Vicarious. Joining us today from Vicarious are uh, two now friends of the show because they've been on so many times. We love having them. Roy Cohen and Shawnee Dodge. Welcome back. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having us. Hi, good to be here again. Nice to have you both. We're going to be talking about uh, generating threat insights using data science. I'm excited. I want to learn more about the data science that helps most with vulnerability prioritization. You may know a yeah, thing or two so, about that, I'm told. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a super interesting topic, uh, you know, given the fact that uh, there are so many data points today that uh, companies need to consider, right? There are so many feeds. I think you read in the news uh, day in and day out about new incidents, which resulted by some of them, at least by um, soft vulnerabilities and issues like that. And it's very hard to expect one and a given company to really try to understand what they should do. Um, this, you know, because of the fact there is the inflation of data. Um, and just a recap in the previous sessions where we discussed a bit about how we predict vulnerabilities, um, how we can also protect them in the memory and a couple of sessions about prioritization. But, you know, looking beyond the horizon, there is like this, um, this need that there will be so many uh, data points where a company needs to really having something to, to focus on the most critical threats. Um, and we need to create, you know, maybe rely on existing uh, frameworks, like we'll be discussing a bit about the Mitre framework, um, and how we can uh, facilitate algorithms in order to really help us to uh, better focus on the things that matter. So this is kind of what we wanted to discuss for today. Yeah, it's really awesome. Uh, we were talking about this today, you know, that combination of supervised and unsupervised learning was kind of the, the lesson that, that I was getting today that you can have users tag content, but also based on behavior and other factors, you can uh, automatically tag that that content. It sounds like you're doing something similar uh, inside the product today. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and in, in, when it comes to tagging, eventually, it should also be consistent of something that a company can, you know, can relate to. Um, so I want to start by showing, I think it's, uh, I think we should all be quite familiar with that, with the uh, MITRE's attack framework. Um, obviously, you know, it goes through the different steps of, of the attack from the reconnaissance up until the impact. Um, and the two, uh, let's call it the mitigation, which can uh, also are connected uh, tightly to the techniques are um, things that we kind of discussed about. And the patches protection obviously is uh, something that in terms of mitigation relates to exploit protection. Uh, and there are different techniques that it basically covers. And of course, the patching that we also uh, are covering um, covers some, some uh, other techniques. And eventually when you have like, uh, again, the inflation of data, you need to, and you want to uh, uh, have standards which you're going to rely on, 
the Mitre Attack framework is one thing that we can really uh, look up to. Um, and there is like a, a case study we want to share. We have this, uh, this custom, which is a huge enterprise. And when we uh, started the discussion with, uh, basically he told us he got two uh, scanners inside his network, two vulnerability scanners, and multiple feeds of data, you know, uh, threat intelligence and darknet, darknet analysis and uh, the CERT, which basically feeds him with, with the threats. And we asked him, like, how, how are you basically processing this, you know, this huge amount of data points in order to, to make a decision? He says, I, I really cannot. It's, re it's really hard. It's a, you know, very specific task. Um, and he kind of uh, also showed us that he tries to correlate things back to the techniques uh, in Mitra. Um, and this is why we wanted to, to uh, go through this uh, kind of uh, today. Um, and Shani will be elaborating a bit more about uh, the different uh, data points and data sets would be, uh, that would be used for the, for the models and for the algorithms. So over to you, Shani. Thank you, Roy. So, you know, I really relate to the example you just mentioned because I deeply believe that the uh, biggest challenge in the 2020s is not um, collecting data, but processing it and turning it into knowledge and insights. And I'll just uh, uh, share my screen with you. And I made kind of a really simple um, example of of a uh, organization's data, right? So here is, of course, really little and and not uh, and of course in an organization it's much bigger, much more information. But here we have around. Well, four also, servers. also I think in the real world, Shani, there's a lot more criticals and highs than maybe you have listed there. Of course, of <laughs> course. Here there's just only four servers, four desktops, around I guess ten applications, maybe 20 vulnerabilities, you know, that's really not the real world. But if we're looking at that and we're asking ourselves, how can we analyze all this information? And these are, you know, 50 rows, uh, 50 rows only. So we can try manually, but it seems quite hard to me. And we can might try, you know, basic statistics or kind of predefined rules, but feels outdated so you know paul what do you think would be a better um way to analyze this information i think uh my vote would be with machine learning yeah yeah so <laughs> i really relate to what you say and i think that applying machine learning algorithms is like the future and there's different algorithms and different methods but um we'll be speaking about a bit about the machine learning and yeah, Before and I think start, you know I think machine learning yeah. get, gets a, a bad a bad rep because those there are people who claim that they do machine learning, but it's really not machine like just basic matching is not machine learning. Uh, and then it, it seems to me the ones that that actually do machine learning uh, in some capacity, as you're about to describe, Shani, um, don't don't kind of like tout that as their like primary. Uh, feature, for example. So I think this it, you you fit that mold very well, and that this is all you know. Last segment of the year, you've done several, and now we're talking about machine learning, which has always kind of been there in the background. Right, right. So, but just a moment before we start to discuss how can we apply machine learning and create a customized threat identification process or model, let's just define you know what is exactly machine learning. Um, so actually, it's a task of uh, of training a function that maps an input to an output. And there are different types. Uh, one is the supervised learning. Um, this refers to learning that is based on labeled data, meaning 
uh, input and output pairs. An example of using this uh, supervised learning would be to solve uh, a classification problem. And, you know, I hope you all are uh, familiar with the Google Photos app because they have really cool features. And I want to show you one of them, um, the one that recognizes things such as food, sky, cars. So this is a really good example of classifying using a, a, um, a sorry, a supervised um, a learning. And why is that? Because the programmers in Google sat down and took some photos of cars and labeled them as cars and then photos of sky and labeled them as sky and trained a model. And now when that model runs on our app, it, uh, it goes over all the photos and when it sees car, it groups it into cars and so on and so on. Yeah, Shani, I, I find it's about 80% correct in Google Photos. But it is a shining, shining example of machine learning. I think um, Moxie Mollenspike gave the analogy of you showed a bunch of pictures of cats. Now the application can recognize cats when you show random pictures. It'll tell you which ones are cats and which ones are not. Right, right. And if we'll keep on, so there's another type of unsupervised learning, right, where we detect patterns in data set that aren't labeled. And a good example, a good usage of this unsupervised learning would be uh, solving a clustering problem. For example, um, if we'll keep with the Google Photos uh, example, um, grouping people, right? So it's kind of a face recognition where the programmers, the Google programmers do not uh, know or the data where the function is trained on doesn't um, have these people, but when it runs on our system, right, it looks through our photos and groups in by photo uh, by faces. So every time we press on a face, we can see all the photos that this person appeared in. Yeah, so and then I it, think it, um, it asks you, right? It, it gives you two pictures, and it's like, is this you know X Y Z person? Yes, no, or maybe. And like sometimes I don't know. I'm like I because I, it's a picture of an adult and the child version of that, you know, uh, person. And you're like, I, I don't know if that's the same person, but it collects, but the point is it collects data from the user. Exactly. exactly. So today, um, my Google app just notified me and asked me about two people, uh, two faces. Actually, it's the same person, my father-in-law. And he asked me, uh, is that the same person? And one was just straightforward and one was from the side mm. looking. And, you know, it's really interesting how the model that, it found some high similarity, but it wasn't sure it's the same. So could iteratively um, retrain itself, right? When I said, yeah, merge these groups. So this is a really good example. Um, so going back to our machine learning. So after we discussed a bit, what is, what is it? Um, we can now um, apply a machine learning algorithm to identify threats in our organization, right? And let's put in mind that the um, desired output is a, a function that maps um, new data from our organization and unseen input, right, to a MITRE threat, um, the group of threats that Roe just uh, demonstrated. And let's ask ourselves, what are the steps for that? So the first would be to collect data, right? Um, then we would like to turn this data into an input for our model. Uh, meaning to pre-process it into features, 
features of the input variables of our model and select those that we would like to train our model with. And of course, at the end to train and evaluate our model. This is an iterative process. And just before we start speaking about um, what data sources can we uh, collect, um, I feel that it's really important to mention that uh, the uh, most important stage of a good model training is uh, the data that is collected and the pre-processing of it. Um, and therefore, it's really important to put time and effort into it because the accuracy of a model is based on the training data. Um, so, Paul, what data should we collect in order to identify threats? What do you think? Uh, certainly not garbage, because garbage in, garbage out, I believe, is the analogy. You, you know, an analogy to describe what you were just uh, talking about. Um, but the data that we want to to input is that that spreadsheet, right, that you showed uh, earlier, and import those fields. Yeah, but you know, I have another idea. Let's see what you think. What about like kind of vendors market share? Do you think it impact the uh, impact the threat, right? Oh, I'm going to go with the CVE. Yeah, the CVE is just something similar, right? We can think about um, to how to add, like, you know, some uh, information that are not just uh, cyber-related but could really uh, impact our, uh, our model, right? I'll give you some example. For example, what do you think about exploits of older versions of the same application uh, that have some input about uh, future threats. Right. Uh, the age of the vulnerability, for example. Right. Uh, so there, right. Are things that, uh, there are the things that we uh, all know. Again, the age of the vulnerability, um, the CV, the description, the um, you know, things of the exploit DB. But if I would introduce you to so two applications and we're not uh, you know, mentioning uh, the vendors, but you have like a bigger vendor, which we all know that are frequently being hacked and we are every Tuesday need to spend time around, you know, around. Um, and you have uh, something, uh, some vendor which is a bit less known. So because you as a human being, you know that this one vendor is far more known than other, um, you know, you can make this assumption. But when you give it, introduce this mm -hmm. data point to a machine, you need to find like pseudo algorithms which can generate the same result. So um, one idea or one, one feature you can introduce to a, to a model in potential is, is market share. Or for instance, right. it could be crazy, but... Uh, Twitter followers. So you're going to inspect the followers for a, a given company or even the YouTube likes for a given company. And these things in potential could be uh, introduced to a, to a model to predict whether something is will be will become a threat aside of, you know, the CVEs. So when you become, you know, you have a, a lot of uh, data points, a lot of uh, pieces of information, um, this is where, you know, a model is required. Roy, your answer was way better than mine. Thank you. <laughs> so... So I had a question, Roy. Uh, is it is it um, market share or install base? So some of the things eventually, when you're trying to um, to to generalize the data, right? Um, so some of the things are not necessarily are available. Market share, for example, it's easier to collect. It's either the companies you know traded somewhere with the the, the known uh, stock exchange. And or it's a private held, and you can you have multiple data points or data sources like Crunchbase or uh, even going to the Nasdaq or the Dun and the Bandas. You, you know you got a lot of uh, a lot of data points where you can basically create a generalized, uh, well-formatted 
uh, uh, data, data point uh, and relate to that. So install base, it's a great feature, but and again, you need to, to collect it in a, in a way that will be, um, let's call it scalable. But it, it's a good point. It could be a great feature if you're going to collect mm -hmm. that. Right. And just to relate to what you're saying, Roy, so um, because the machine learning, uh, we have a much higher computational uh, ability. It's really nice to add all kind of feature, but if we would have to uh, manually analyze the data, we can, you know, use them all so that's really exciting and let's go back to our data so um now that we collected um we need to turn it into um features right features are the input variables of our model so if we'll be looking at all this information um some uh, features can be generated you know uh, directly from our data. Um, some could be uh, generated by applying uh, basic algorithms, for example, how often an app is used or what is the percentage of, uh, of um, assets that the app is installed on and so on and so on. And another method for generating um, for generating a, um, features could be applying machine learning algorithms, uh, kind of a sub-research that uh, for a big model that their output would be um, an input for a big model. And by applying the machine learning algorithms, we can predict new information. And a good example for that would be predicting the likelihood of a vulnerability to be exploited uh, if it doesn't have an exploit yet, or when would it be uh, available, the exploits. Um, another good example could be analyzing CV description and uh, receiving information about the attack or the impact in case of a successful exploit. We can analyze automatically the vulnerability vector and so on and so on. And I believe that, you know, with all these uh, methods, we can generate a diverse feature collection of information about vulnerabilities in zero days and have uh, include some about the risk, about the, the usage, about some possible treatments. And we can even add um, some of the user's taste, for example, which threats did the user choose to treat in the past. And, you know, we might end up with a really high number of features and that also could be a disadvantage. Um, why? Because we can uh, might be needed to deal with uh, computational cost, with poor performance of our model, or with overfitting the training data, overfitting training data, meaning that our output function is not generalized enough and we'll have a high rate of mistakes over new inputs. Um, so what can we do? How can we lower the number of features, but, you know, in a smart process? So we can, this is called actually a dimensional oh, good. I'm, I'm reduction. Glad. I, thought and I thought you were going to call on me again, Shani. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yeah, so there's this method of, uh, of uh, a feature selection and there's different algorithms that helps us to do it to reduce our dimension. Uh, for example, the lasso regression and what these methods do is help us to select feature that are most useful or most informative for our model. 
And, you know, now we, got, we get to the most exciting part where after we collected the data and processed it into input variables, uh, we can finally start training. So if we'll go back to our uh, nice image of the machine learning, right? So uh, what we would like to do here is uh, to choose a supervised learning to solve a classification problem, right? Um, our problem is, uh, of course, uh, feeding or, sorry, uh, training a function that using new data uh, will um, classify it to a mitra threat, uh, one of those uh, that we, we are treating with a patch or patchless protection. And how would we, will we do that? We want to feed our model with these features that we just collected and selected and receive a function that when a new data appears, we'll decide whether it is a thread and of which family. Right, so Roy, can you please share us some of the uh, threads that our model found? Yeah, obviously. So, um, of course, what we're going to show, it's uh, still work in progress. But basically what you see here is um, a result of such a, a potential prediction. For instance, we got here one of the um, one of these uh, um, techniques we cover through the MITRE attack framework, where there is a set of uh, properties uh, which you can see and you can really understand, with, which resulted in a, a potential exploit for a public-facing application, application which is uh, communicating with the Internet and you know, is out there. So um, in any case, um, what we want to achieve, you know, here by applying these models is to take a group of, uh, of uh, let's call it neurons or features. And with uh, uh, doing these manipulations, we want to result a potential threat where a client can really understand. And let's go again back a bit and understand why, why it is so important. So I will share again our dashboard. And uh, as you can see, uh, as you can see here, um, if you recall, we uh, the way that we prioritize vulnerabilities is based on the tags. We are basically tagging data points, and according to that, we apply some um, some risk uh, factors to to determine what of what are the applications are susceptible for an attack or more likely to be hijacked or whatsoever. And now, sorry, when it Roy, comes uh, to, yeah. for our audience, especially and especially those listening. When you're looking at these tags, are those discovered and applied automatically by um, by Vicarious or uh, by Topia, I should say, uh, or is the human applying those, or is it a combination of both? So um, these tags are all uh, generated automatically upon mm -hmm. deployment of the system. These mm -hmm. tags are basically um, are a result of uh, threat intelligence, so we basically call it a few feeds. Mm -hmm. And if there is a matching vulnerability or a matching application that answers some of these feeds, obviously we're going to tag them. So the customer or the client doesn't need to go and to browse through the internet and to try to figure out which of the applications are talked about or uh, in potential, you know, already have been but, weaponized. But it's also taking into account the environmental data as well in terms of, well, if it's Firefox and it has an exploit and you've tagged it with a couple of things, you can say Firefox is the most used application in your environment and blend that together automatically without me having to do anything but put the agent and set this up, right? Precisely, Paul. Precisely. And this is kind of also correlate back to the session where we discuss about the prioritization part, mm. where, you know, every vulnerability got the vector. Um, what we do here is basically we validate that so that the properties of the given vulnerability are being met on the customer side. And upon such, it's something that is 
more likely or more feasible to be exploited, unlike things that, for instance, require uh, high privileges or some network uh, configuration in order for them to be uh, abused. So definitely it's a good point that which you've raised. We are correlating external feeds and internal feeds. Um, and as I said, looking beyond the horizon, here we got about, I don't know, I would like to say 20 or 30 um, uh, tags. In the future where we're going to have hundreds or thousands of these, again, it will become something that uh, that a person will be finding in potential hard to um, to correlate. Um, because again, clicking here, you know, uh, this is something the system does automatically. For instance, which of my applications are exploitable um, in use and are communicating with internet, it's very easy to uh, to grasp the threat and to take action. But when it comes to a lot of uh, potential tags and a lot of potential threats, it's something that a human uh, may struggle in potential. Um, but of course, again, the fact that we are basically um, showing the, 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 the user what are the threats on a nice you know, graph where you can see what exactly contributes to, to the risk. It's something that we see of, of high value and high necessity. Because imagine, Paul, if we would have told the client, look, you should trust us because we have like a super sophisticated data you know, machine learning algorithm which does this calculation. It's very hard in some cases to, um, to uh, leverage this in potential or even get, you know, if you get security teams and IT teams, Sometimes because of this uh, dissonance or, you know, they're trying to pull different directions, it's hard to get them engaged and, you know, to remediate things. And when all teams see exactly what is out there and how it could be in potential uh, be exploited or hijacked, uh, this is something that we see of great, you know, of great value. Um, so again, here we got only a few of these and you can see how they contribute to the risk. Imagine again in the future, we're going to have hundreds or thousands this is something that, of course, a model needs to uh, do the prediction. Um, so this is how we are basically trying to um, um, to harness the you know the power of algorithms and uh, machine learning in order to better predict uh, multiple things. Some of the tags, um, well, today most of the tags you see here are a result of uh, you know coding. Um, there is no algorithm who generates that, but like Shani mentioned, um, there are now work in progress like algorithms who are going to predict. For instance, if something doesn't have an exploit today, but you know in future it will have, uh, we are now applying some supervised models to create these tags. So it's going to be exciting both on the tags side of things because some of them will be, again, are generated by humans, uh, meaning a man, a person writes uh, the code, but also others are being generated by machines. Um, Again, whether something will be exploitable in the future, this is one thing. Um, the likelihood for weaponization, which there is already a data set that can represent that, that's another thing. So eventually, if you have the right data, you can also harness, harness this to amazing things, you know, predicting what will be exploited in any given environment. And also another cool feature we are adding is the option to customize. Um, if we revert back to the example of Google Images, where it asks you, Hey, Paul, this is a person you know, you say yes or no. Uh, so imagine you would personalize the threat also to your company where the algorithm is going to introduce you, look, Paul, is that a threat you think it's worthy of your time and it's related to, I don't know, uh, uh, data theft or credentials, uh, credentials theft? And you're going to say yes or no. So the model going to reprocess the things based on the weights you, or the, the inputs you just uh, provided. So as I said, there are exciting things uh, in the field of, uh, you know, of data science in connection to vulnerabilities. 
Um, this is definitely one of the key uh, projects for, for the company for the upcoming, uh, upcoming uh, releases. That's really cool. Uh, I, I have a feature request, though, if you want to monitor the dark web uh, chat communications and then funnel that into natural language processing and, and apply tags based on that, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, that, actually, it already happens. Maybe Does it really? To the full extent. I wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah. The, when we process the CVE description. I was going to ask you, you apply that to the CVE description, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is already being done today. So we process that CV description and according to that, we can uh, tag a few things. Some of them are more simple. Some of them are more complex. But yeah, definitely the CV description is something that we, that we consider, that we definitely use. And all the, you know, the advisory links when you scrape that and you basically process that. So obviously these are things that are uh, of great value to predict, you know, potential impact. Absolutely. Lee? So I was just wondering about you know, how about if I, you know, incorporated like checking for my stuff in Shodan to see about vulnerable things like it, or actually I show up at the top of the list? Um, you know, this is definitely something you can, you can correlate back. Uh, this is a data point where um, not per se will uh, will tag that as, uh, you know, something in potential could be uh, introduced to a model. Uh, but this is something that we have a lot of data feeds that we collect from. And some of them, again, are represented here. For instance, you know, the simple ones are, is there an exploit, which it could be, you know, the ones that we know and some that we know less. For example, ExploitDB is one example. Mm -hmm. um, or Twitter, you know, basically there's a Twitter API you can collect information from, and according to that, you can correlate. So Shodan is definitely uh, a feed that in potential could be introduced. Uh, we have now quite uh, a lot in our bucket list of feeds we now uh, customers ask us to introduce, so we are working on it. Um, mm -hmm. And as we see the tags, you know, the growth is exponential. It's really, it's really, you know, off the roof. Uh, there's a lot of tags which are now on the, on the roadmap. Again, as I said, some of them are coded and others will be, it will be a result of an algorithm generating them. Do, um, do the customers have the ability to uh, input their own private feeds or uh, set that up so that if it was, you know, not a feed that you guys are going to integrate is there an option to, to bring in other feeds that are going to be private? Um, definitely. There is also an, um, it's not, we haven't uh, covered that, but there is an API which you can introduce feeds into and definitely we can generate uh, tags of. I also, um, getting back to the example of um, the threat, um, the, the threats that we cover, um, as we said, these are being generated by machine, but we also want to give customer an option to take a few tags and to create his own like threat. For instance, I want you to um, create a group of all of my uh, applications that are, again, got an exploit, for instance, have been weaponized in the past, are internet facing and running on a sensitive server. So all of that, you know, uh, these tags could result, uh, let's call it a simple threat. What we're trying to also to discuss about is that there will be uh, threats who are going to be compound of maybe tens or maybe hundreds of tags, which again, a human will be finding hard to, to create. But definitely it's something which is customizable. And some of the tags you see here are things that in potential you would like to adjust, both in the sense of the weights, and now you can really uh, create your own risk model because company A can say, you know, if there is an expert for me, it's a red flag, it's a no-go. And then I want to, you know, to weight it uh, far higher than others. Another company would like to say, you know, my sensitive servers, this is the top priority. 
So I want to tag these vulnerabilities and these assets as something that is more like, you know, more uh, susceptible for an attack or more risky. Uh, but again, these are simple models. What we are trying to uh, talk about here is that we're going to introduce something which is a bit more complex and going to call it a lot of data points altogether. I mean, is it as simple as taking a lot of the guesswork out of your remediation? Um, hopefully. Mm. Well, um, yeah, we, we try to make it uh, uh, simple. And the fact we are not using, uh, let's call it, uh, at least for now, we're not using deep uh, uh, learning or neural networks where there is a hidden layer. And then it's very hard to understand what resulted the threat. You know, when um, you have a, a model which is compound of multiple layers, which are uh, not necessarily are easy to, to, to explain. Sometimes it may be, you may find it hard to um, really uh, dig into why it is a problem for me. Uh, so as long as we can, we try to keep it simple and try to at least to some extent show the different uh, features who contributed for, for a, a given threat. Is there a point where you get too many feeds or bad feeds? I mean, it seems like you could wind up going over the top and actually making negative progress on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so this is like Shani said, it's, uh, the, the data is all about it. You know, trying not to collect uh, too many data, to, uh, things that in, in potential may uh, damage your, your model. Um, so definitely this is something that we, uh, we need to look up to and to make sure we are not you know, just spamming the, the model with feeds which don't provide any value. Roy, how do yeah, and also ahead, sorry, sorry. Also, I want to add to Roy's explanation. Um, it's also okay to add um, more data that we need because then we can apply those algorithms of feature selection and reduce the number um, of data that we use at the end in order to train our model. So it's good to add more data at first and then you know smartly reduce it. I I I get this. I think this is really awesome. My question is, how do we explain this to some of our other team members and our managers and convince them that this, this is the vulnerability we, vulnerabilities we need to fix first? Because it's, it's right here. Because it's machine learning and, and supervised learning, and they're not going to get that right. How do, we, how do we break it down for them? Because Shani and Roy said so. Yeah, that's, I, I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah again the fact again the, the fact that, that this algorithm is not a black box and to some extent you can see inside and what contributed to to, to a, a certain output again for instance um, this is a critical vulnerability because of and let's let's simplify that there is a there is an exploit it has been weaponized a company like us got breached the other day and there is a ser sensitive server so all of these are data points in the model now take that and you can of course elaborate that but you have a story here you can go to your manager and tell them this is why we need to prioritize this this and that and not again as we discussed a few sessions ago everything above cvss8 is is a is a is a fix and then you see there are too many you say okay nine nine point five and then to raise the bar up until you can cope with the numbers. Right. Yeah, because I, I think that management really understands when I go to them and say, we're going to look at all of our vulnerabilities, discover them, and anything that's a CVSS score of 7.0 or greater, we're going to fix within five business days, right? And they go, yeah, we, we like, like everyone feels good. And for a whole host of reasons, that's a really terrible strategy, right? I want to go to management and say, look, we've got a system that takes into more factors than any human can, can compute in their brains and looks into that and says, 
this is really where we need to be focusing our efforts. Is that more of like the, the conversation that you want to have? Yeah, yeah, precisely. We're trying to divert the conversation. And this is a, a two story um, where the board basically fights the, the chief information security officer about why you didn't patch the 7-zip. And he tries to explain, this is not what's important, really, right. guys. We should be looking somewhere else. But they say, no, this is... A, something which it says it says critical here this is a problem it says it tried to persuade them so obviously the discussion needs to be shifted from you know something which again to to a human brain it's easy to understand but we need to make it things which are more um you know make more rational and more uh, making sense to the uh, given company uh, unique risk factors jeff i want to pose your question slightly differently it's essentially what paul just asked you but uh throwing in a pci question for you um customers that are subject to pci they're allowed to prioritize their vulnerabilities whether they know it or not uh but they're supposed to do it based on a pre-described or predefined risk ranking criteria um so my question is, how, how can you guys help companies write up their risk ranking criteria, which ultimately will satisfy, I think, board members, to Paul's point, but more importantly, how do you satisfy the assessors and the auditors that come in and say, oh my gosh, you, you know, there's all these 7-0 findings, why, are, why haven't you fixed them? Well, we have this document here that explains in somewhat somewhat detailed but also you know human under human readable human understandable here's how we're approaching uh looking at vulnerabilities to determine their 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 risk to our environment do you, have you given any thought to that uh, you know beyond what you were you know describing to paul i'm, I'm disappointed I, I think it's, I think it's we, we only question. get to drink twice because jeff only said pci twice I guess that means I said it at th- anyway. Sorry, continue, Roy. <laughs> I think I think it's a great question, and I will separate my answer to two parts. Um, first of all, I think uh, regulation and uh, you know PCI. Now it's the third time. Um, needs to be um, um, advancing with with technology. For instance, I, I will give the example of virtual patching, or we we call it patches protection. But the virtual patching concept is is out there. It's, it exists. It's a thing, and it's not something. At least as far as I know. A, a box you can tick on on um, you know on your regulation that needs to, you know that asks you to to patch something in a given uh, period, um, and obviously there is a um, there is a difference between what regulation dictates us and where the technology is at. Um, so we hope that you know in terms the uh, regulation could understand that like a company can define its own risk factors unless you know they 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 say we don't we're not we don't have any idea how it works and they can comply with the existing ones as standards requires um but we hope the technology will advance and allow a company to to take advantage of new techniques like virtual patching and patches protection or new risk models um, that being said, again, we can customize the risk model according to a given company's requirements. So, yeah, we you know we bring the tools, we bring you the the, the latest tech, but eventually it's up to you if you're going to use it or not. So you can adjust the weights according to your you know something that would be PCI compliant, um, and do it you know by the book. Not not necessarily the most. Uh, um, relevant to a given company's risk factors, but it will satisfy some some regulation. 
So we can comply with the past or look to the future. There are two options. That was very prolific, Roy. I like that. Yeah. And yet, and yet, yet very unsatisfying. Mm. Uh, let me restate the question a little bit because you know you, you responded by uh, bringing up patch management, which ironically, the patch management requirement in PCI is immediately after the requirement to come up with your own uh, risk ranking criteria. So even the patching within PCI is supposed to be based on risk ranking criteria, which PCI allows you to do. Um, I guess what I'm looking for is less of an automated technology response, but a way to describe it in a document so that somebody can uh, you know, read it, even if it's just got pictures, but can accept the fact that your technology is doing you know, all sorts of different things but can you can you say what that is on a piece of paper in a relatively terse manner so that so that humans can you know and not necessarily practitioners can can absorb it can consume it so i'm saying like P pci auditors need to be need to have things described in pictures rather than words in the books they read i i think most people would rather have things described in pictures no, rather than right. words like you know, people that are trying to imagine the apparatus that Tyler's uh, attached himself to right now that aren't watching the video. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. imagination just goes wild. Mm. But, but the um, point I'm trying to make is, you know, it, you're not just having to sell management or the executive suite. You know, you, you also have to sell the auditors and the assessors that are going to come in and, 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 you know, bless this from a compliance perspective. Yeah, so in terms of um, explaining why a given vulnerability or a given application or a given thing is uh, something that's worthy of your time, um, this is, you know, the best way at least we came up with, you know, basically explaining you why something, you know, requires of your time. So the different factors are, you know, easily um, shown, unlike, for instance, uh, a full feed of CVEs where you're trying to understand whether something is, is applicable or not. Um, so the way that we do that, we basically uh, attach different factors, as you can see here. Um, and of course, it's all some all things you can generate and show the auditor, look, there is an expert here, and therefore it's something that is worthy of our time or um, it's a new vulnerability. People are tweeting about it. There are predicted threats here. And this is why we need to take, take an action. Unlike things which are in low risk and, you know, in potential may, you know, not necessarily needed to be uh, to be applied. So this is kind of uh, how we can illustrate uh, an auditor what or why something is worthy of his time. And again, keep in mind, these weights are something which are adjustable. So a given company can define their own uh, weights, their own criteria, and adjust the risk uh, factors according to their own uh, security policy. So getting back to your question, um, how can you justify an auditor whether something is actually at risk even though um, or not at risk even though there is a you know high or critical vulnerability we are using the tags uh, mechanism in order to to achieve that and hope it answers your question the old way is flawed because it doesn't take into account all of those data points this way this way does i think if you could also provide if it were me i would provide the auditor with documentation on here's the methodology we use and here's how we've tuned it to our environment to derive 
um, you know, these particular scores or uh, priorities that we're taking action on, Jeff, right? So maybe, maybe it's not necessarily like Roy and Vicarious's uh, responsibility to do that. But if I were the customer and you were the auditor, if we could take on those roles, I would say, here's our methodology for adjusting the priorities and severities of the vulnerabilities that we face. Uh, here's how we've kind of tuned uh, and modified the, the model, and here's why. Well, here, I want to add to that. Sorry. Go ahead. I want to just no, add to that, that not only the um, apps, uh, we have this risk uh, explanation, but also in the uh, machine learning model that we, sh we shared earlier, you know, all those threats that the model identified, um, it's not a black box for each threat that was identified. There's some of the features that used, the model used in order to decide that is a threat. Uh, Roy, can you share with us that screen again, please? Not sure. And there we go. No, not that screen, the, the live threat screen, please. Yeah. Yeah, that one's basically your results, right? Yeah, so even here, it's not a black box. We want um, the security team to understand why is that a threat and, you know, to retrain the model if, uh, they believe that's not a threat or it's not a threat that they want to treat. So um, it's not a deep learning model where everything is unknown and and we can't understand what happened. It's a model where it is understandable and the features that were uh, used in order to um, decide that it's a threat or at least some of them are presented here. So... Um I, I want to give my my little marketing pitch to you guys, uh, Paul. They're not obligated to explain it. It's a it's a sales opportunity. There are mm. fi over five thousand uh, companies that are listed on the Visa Global Service Provider listing. Service providers always have to do the full PCI DSS, and then you know even you know the larger enterprise size merchants uh, is also probably in the pushing 10,000 uh, companies in North America right now. Uh, you guys are offering a way for companies to tailor their risk ranking. Everybody else that we've talked to, that I've talked to, that is tackling this you know, prioritization uh, thing this year ha has their own way of rolling it that they push out. And what I've asked each one of them is, how do you let the customers choose? How do you let the customers set the thresholds, set the variables, set the criteria? Uh, and they all kind of fumble over that. You're, you don't. You have a you have an immediate response. So nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There's a huge market out there for people that would love to do this because – you know, vulnerability remediation is the bane of most companies that have to do PCI, you know, just like everybody else. They hate having to go through the, you know, the hundreds and thousands of vulnerabilities. Give them a way to cut down to what's real and what's what's mo most relevant. You will have a customer for life. I'll, I'll rest there. No, Jeff, I think it's it sound advice. And I, I think that, you know, the uh, the ability to do that and have insight into that process is is huge. It's, it's huge because as we've already shown on previous episodes with Shawnee and Roy, it can be highly subjective. Right. And we've also shown that one particular public data point like a CVSS score 
is also flawed in so many ways. It, and all that kind of leads up to, I think, what Roy and Shawnee shown, uh, showed us tonight was that this can all be seemingly uh, uh, automated. I don't know if that's the right word, right? But uh, this data can be aggregated by, by software rather than humans to help us make better decisions is really what we're after. I mean, compliance may say may one thing, but ultimately, in my opinion, this helps us make better decisions. Would agree. Sweet. Uh, questions, comments from anyone else? Roy, is this, is this a newer feature? That you're rolling out is that yeah this is uh will be rolled out in the in the future release um and uh, we are now um well michael is going to have a, a session about the late the upcoming uh, uh feature will not uh, still is thunder uh but definitely uh we're going to introduce a lot more models and a lot more um machine driven insights and threats uh in the in the near future so definitely stay tuned and, I was I was curious ahead, around your uh, kind of around your subscription or pricing model. Like, how does uh, how does and maybe you've covered this on a previous ep episode, but how does uh, your kind of structure work from uh, from a purchasing side? It's uh, per asset basically because um, you know what we're trying to do here is uh, to bridge the gap between the scanning, you know, finding the issues, make the decision, and fixing them. So it's all per asset per node, you can call it. Um, and this is how it's being priced. Basically, any device you we're going to provide you value for. And your current platform support? So we support Windows, Linux, and Mac. Oh, so you support Linux now too? Yeah, we got the full coverage. You, also for the cool features like the patches. So you on. you lived up to to your uh, to your word. You just yeah, said you would, you would have that. Yeah, for the end of the year. That's awesome. One to ruin them all. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's great. Well, Roy and Shani, thank you so much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly this evening. Thanks, it's been a pleasure. For having us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Always nice having you both. For folks that want to learn more, make sure you visit securityweekly.com forward slash vicarious. Coming up next, Harry Sferdlove from Zscaler. Stick around.